Welcome to another episode of The Depot brought to you by the good people at AutoSense. Uh, the Depot is a place where we share information in and around the transport industry. Uh, today I am in downtown Invercargill, the deep south, on a very wintry day. Uh, and I'm fortunate enough to be chatting, catching up with uh, the new recently appointed CEO of HW Richardson. Anthony Jones. Um, I'm looking forward to catching up with him. We've uh, spoken uh, online, but uh, not caught up in person yet. So we're picking his brain on all things transport uh, and the differences uh, he's seeing between transport in New Zealand and Australia um, and how he's getting on in the new role here, which he's only been in uh, around eight months. Um, but before we find out about Anthony, have a chat to him, um, there's a few things about H.W. Richardson that you may not be aware of. Uh, it's New Zealand's largest privately owned transport business. It employs over 2,500 people and they want a whole lot more because uh, they're like everybody else, they've got a bit of a shortage in a lot of areas. It runs across six different sectors operates 48 businesses within those six sectors, has an annual revenue of around $2 billion. Uh, and of course, as I said, it is based right down here in the Deep South and in Invercargill. So it's all very, very impressive. Uh, so now let's welcome Anthony Jones, CEO of HWR, and get his take on how HWR got him across the ditch, across the line to come over here from Sydney and uh, talk to him about what he's seeing in the New Zealand transport sector. Anthony, thank you, mate, for your time. Um, Pleasure. This is actually our official first face-to-face -face meet as well. Yep. Um, so good to see you in person. Well, Shorter course, than mate. what I thought you'd be. <laughs> Thanks. Just, just yeah. throw Average that Average height, just to throw that out there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I am querying, looking out the window today, I mean, we, I well, we'll find out what the hell... Uh, it must have been good. Scott O'Donnell must have <laughs> sold you a dream yeah. in some way, shape, or form, considering in the deep, dark south down in Southland and Invercargill on a, on a winter's day. It's, um, yes, not exactly, you know, <laughs> oh, um, the ideal. The bag, the ugly, I think you might put this as the ugly. It's, it's very much, but, I mean, there are good days. Yeah, have so. been, yeah. Um, hey, uh, it's been eight months, December, <clears throat> or about eight months, um, since you took up the role. Um, how is uh, the Southland, how's Invercargill actually good. treating you? Yeah, good, mate. Like it's, uh, you know, from our point of view, we moved across here in December, got the the beauty of uh, coming in in summer and, and my wife wanted us to be over here in summer so that the kids didn't only see this side. Yeah, reputation. Um, but yeah, look, it's been an amazing um, sort of, we, we had an amazing uh, summer mm. where, uh, we went into drought here in Southland, believe yeah. it or not. Um, and I think it's one of the best summers we've had on record. So quite a soft landing for us uh, and, the, and the kids. And, um, you know, the business has been amazing. Um, you know, Scott, Joss, Albert uh, and the whole executive team and the whole business have just welcomed us with open arms. And um, the people here in Southland have done the same. And yeah. so, um, you know, it, it's ticking all the boxes. Yeah. Is well, the you, short of it. well, you are... Um uh, you're like a bit of a adrenaline fueled action around the place, and, and you know you're only just up the road to on some the of doorstep the, of. And that, of that was stuff. one of the attractions, yeah. you know, where we're an outdoor family. We love we love snow sports, and uh, to be on the on the doorstep, and we've been, had already had the ability to to get out and see the beautiful sights of of this area. And 
you know, to be two hours to Tianau and 2.45 to Milford and, you know, two hours to Queenstown, it, it, you are on the doorstep of just some of the most beautiful places in the yeah. world. And, you know, for us, it was a move about showing our kids that there's more to life than just big city. And, you know, I, I was raised in a big city, um, grew up in Sydney. Um, I didn't fall far from the tree. We lived about five minutes away from where I was raised, um, my wife as well. And, but for us, you know, I was, I was driving or commuting an hour and a half each way to work. Um, yep. I had a beautiful office overlooked Sydney Harbour uh, from North Sydney and um, overlooked Lavender Bay and Luna Park and all those beautiful spots. But um, that was three hours out of my day. Um, it's now seven minutes uh, from five acres. Uh, so, you know, the, the, for us, it was that opportunity to go and work with great people, make a difference and be challenged. And that, they're my three driving principles and Scott and Joss uh, are great people, mate. They, you know, the, the family values run through deep in the organisation and there's been no surprises. So it's really ticked all those boxes for us. So they're good people. Um, so. Just getting all that time back. I mean, <laughs> were you, was that a bit of a shock to the system in itself? I mean, all of a sudden having some of this time, I hope you haven't filled it all up with. No, 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 I haven't. Like, <clears throat> Obviously, it, it's been a bit of a learning curve. So I, I spent, in effect, I spent 23 years with one employer. So yeah. I knew everybody in the organisation. I knew all the contacts in Australia and um, I knew my customer base pretty well. And moving over here, I've had to adjust and learn the people in the business. Um, I'm the new guy in the room. And, you know, so um, going up to Auckland, for instance, going to a large um, event, no one knew who Anthony Jones was. So, you know, I've got to, had to build that network. So I've had to build um, and work pretty hard. But how have I filled that gap? It, you know, it's spending time with the kids, mate. Mm. You know, I've got four four young kids, my daughter being the eldest at 14 and youngest. And we've got three other boys, uh, 11, 9 and 6. And so life's pretty busy. Um, and before COVID, uh, in my old role, they didn't really see dad yeah. during the week. So um, now I travel still with work now, but... When I'm home, they get to have brekkie with me. Yeah. You know, I can drop them off at school. You're not um, already gone by the time they get up. Correct. So, um, you know, it, that, that work-life balance is really cool. So um, to be able to do that. I totally, totally agree with that. Uh, yeah, big changes in that space and good timing with those with your kids too. Yeah. At those, those ages. Well, they grow up too quick, mate. And, you know, I, I look at my daughter. She, she's nearly 14 now and in a couple of days she'll be 14. And where'd that go? You know, so they're only with us for a period of time. And, and you know, so it was, again, it was about the people. And, you know, once I got to know uh, Scott and Joss and, and Albert at, uh, and know the business, know how significant the business mm. and part we play in New Zealand and Australia to that point, um, you know, the, we, we make a significant difference to the economy. And yep. um, it was a business that ticked all those boxes and time to be challenged. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that is awesome. Um, let's just go back a little bit. Uh you're a, from a family full of stevedores. Mm. I got actually. I, it's one thing I've got to go. I actually haven't searched it. I saw it when I was reading up on you, but I didn't go and look at it. Can, where did that? Where did that name come from? I had no idea. Oh, you don't be, know either. If you asked my brother, he'd be you'd able know. to tell you. Yeah. So shout out to Nath out there who could tell you pretty much every <laughs> vessel that uh, ever sailed the shores. Um, yeah. yeah, and so the, the the story was that I vowed never to go into the industry and. Uh, Nathan. From what age? So um, probably 15, 16, because yep. Nathan was in shipping. Right. Um, Nathan's my oldest brother. Um, and uh, dad 
was still in shipping, um, working at um, Patrick at, yep. at Port Botany. Um, and so they were, Nathan was working for MSC at the time. Um, and they'd sit around the dinner table, you know, on the weekends or mid-work they and they'd just talk about bloody ships. <laughs> and I'd be like, you just stop talking about it. Like I just, all I want to do is go snowboarding, go surfing, you know, play sports. That was play rugby league, that was pretty much me and mm. didn't want to sit there and talk about ships. But they had a real passion for it and I remember saying, I don't want to go into that, Dad. And, um, you know, I, I was an exchange student to, to Colorado uh, in year 10. Oh, wow. Um, and that's where I fell in love with the snow, the snow um, yeah. and the mountains. And so my scholastic career uh, or scholastic journey didn't go so well Suffered after that because <laughs> all I wanted to do was go back to America. Um, and so I came back and worked really hard, worked multiple jobs through year 11 and year 12 and and then jumped back on a plane and went overseas again at the end of high school. Um, and where I sort of went wrong on that was I went straight after my formal, the day after my formal. To the kids out there, don't do that. Um, so 14-hour uh, plane journey after that was not so oh, much fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, Good formal. You know, we uh, for me then I, I spent um, five months over there you know, snowboarding around and travelling around and then came back and, and it was actually at a time where there was – we were just coming – Australia was coming out of a recession um, at that time and that was sort of – to peg that, that was 97. Mm. Um, and there was no apprenticeship, so I wanted to be a builder. Like I was – frustrated, like I call myself now a frustrated builder, um, always looking for another project. Um, but I couldn't get an apprenticeship. Um, and so I fell into landscape gardening and I, I was a landscape gardener. And um, anyway, I saw my um, boss get ripped off um, during my apprenticeship. Saw my boss get ripped off in one year quite significantly, probably to the tune of $60,000, yep. $70,000 of people with money, sadly not paying for things Services. that we had done. And I thought, I, I can't I can't raise a family like that. Um, and it was right at the time of the 1998 dispute or just after the 98 dispute, the waterfront dispute. Yep. Um, and my brother had started as a as a casual stevedore at, at Port Botany. And I remember asking him, I was like, mate, how, how much are you, just out of curiosity, what how are much are you getting paid? Mm. <laughs> and uh, he told me and I went, hey, Dad, <laughs> you know what I said. <laughs> Remember how I said I never wanted yeah. to go into stevedoring? Well, maybe I would, you know, yeah. and and yeah, and that and that that's yeah, it's been an unbelievable journey since then, mate. So and how long? Twenty three years. Wow, on the wharfs. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, so started with Patrick, spent some time with Patrick, um, and in two thousand and four. Um, I joined, um, or 2003, sorry, uh, joined Pacific National. Yep. Um, Toll and Patrick had bought Pacific National, the large freight rail companies of Australia, and merged them together. And I went down to Melbourne. Um, Katie and I had just gotten married. Um, and uh, we jumped on a plane and moved our life to Melbourne and spent a few years down in Melbourne, uh, close to three years in Melbourne with PN. And then I was with PN for 12 years. And um, I learned a hell of a lot with Pacific National. It was just an unbelievable journey, starting yep. as a as a uh, as a, ter a terminal operations manager for the steel. So moving all blue scope steel, um, basically down to their Western Port facility, and then jumped into the freight terminal, which was intermodal, so containerized. Yep. Back to sort of what I knew. Um, yeah, and it, it's been a an unbelievable journey, mate. It's gone that quick. Um, and then fast forward, I went back. Um, I was the general manager of Pacific National Bulk, so managing customers like Grain, Grain Corp and, and big 
um, providers over there. And then um, I jumped back into Patrick. So same company. It was Asiano was the, the holding company yep, at right. the time and it was the same company. And I jumped out of Patrick, uh, Pacific National into Patrick and, um, yeah, and then um, straddled both the container terminals business, so back where I began basically and sitting across the table talking to guys I started with, um, you know, but from the customer or from the um, employer-employee relationship point of view. and um, Which would have been, you know, a, it was a good. interesting space obviously being yeah, where you had started good. from and the understanding and, of it. And I think just the respect, you know, yeah. you can go into any – you can go my my personal views are you can go into any situation if you show respect across the table you'll get that respect and you can deal with any situation fierce or or not um, with compassion and consideration for the other person sitting on the other side of the table and so you know I was the lead negotiator um, with the MUA yeah. um, for the company um, yeah and I'm proud of how I held myself through those moments they're always testing, challenging testy negotiations and. Yeah. Um, but look, I'm proud that Anthony Jones showed up at each of those tables, at each of those discussions. So, yeah, it's been a, a pretty amazing ride. And then the the sale of Asiano and divestment of Asiano led to my first CEO role. Um, and uh, it probably didn't was it, I thought I was going to be made redundant. Is the short of it? And I was told I was redundant. Um, and yeah, Brookfield, um, who became the new owners of Lynx Cargo Care, gave me an opportunity to be the CEO and fast forward five years, here I am now. Yeah, right. So, yeah, um, amazing journey, mate. And so how long's, how long, because uh, I know it's it's been interrupted, there was conversations <laughs> with yes. Scott a long yeah. time ago, several years ago, yeah, it's around a, the role. So it's that two years. And yeah. what, and how did, I mean, how did he find you or <clears> how did you find HWR? Mm. Um, I think like all things, there's, you know, there's connections and, mm. you know, one of my businesses uh, from from Lynx Cargo Care Group is C3 Limited, which is the on-port logistics um, business here um, based out of Tauranga. Yep. Um, and so I was jetting across to Tauranga. I was the chair of that business and I was jetting across to Tauranga right. quite regularly. Yep. Um, and I think just through some connections, my name sort of got onto a short list of, hey, maybe we should talk to this guy. Um and yeah, we did. We started a journey where we started to talk to each other. It took two years from the time we first talked to get me in. Get a deal. Yeah, to to actually get it, get me in country, and that COVID got in the way of that. Um, we're both not slow at making decisions, so but it was more about COVID and, and well, so on. I think I know how much uh, Scott was, um, you know. Um, I think he was pretty <laughs> wanting happy to move that, uh, leave that role <laughs> and push it on into your hands. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think he was pretty happy once I, I got in country and so was I. It, it uh, was a long process, um, but yeah, a, a good one. And, and to your original question, mate, it's been an unbelievable journey and, and start. And, you know, there's not one of my kids has said we want to go home. So that, well, that's, that's, that's a uh, tick in, in yeah, my box and nor, nor, nor has my wife. So, yeah. um, you know, that just makes things so much easier. Uh, how much awareness did you have of uh, HWR, um, um, all that? None. Yeah. I remember when I first got the phone call and, oh, would you be interested in a potential role in New Zealand? And, you know, there's the feeling out. And I said, oh, yeah, look, New Zealand's got a bit of a soft spot. It's such a beautiful country. Um, and... Um, they said, oh, it's with a company called HWR or HW Richardson Group. And I'm like, who, who are they? And, you know, and I think the resounding response from most people when I say what my role is, is they say, well, what, what do HWR do? 
Um, and then when you explain the brands and what we actually do, we're, we're that sleeping giant or the biggest business that no one's ever heard of type sort of thing. So, yeah. um, which we're proud, you know, we're, we're proud of. We're not a, we're not a business that gets out there and sort of shouts from the top and want, you know, we don't want press for press sake. Um, we're proud of what we do and we're proud of those brands and we just get on with it. That's mm. it. So, and so what was that? The, um, what made you sort of take more notice and, and uh, look into it? Well, once I, once I sort of started to understand the brands and understand, you know, as you always do, or what's the website, you go and sort yep. of do a bit of research and research about the people who you're going to work for or potentially going to be working for. I just started to do my research and ask a few questions about the business. And, you know, we are such a significant player across those brands. It wasn't easy. It wasn't hard to to understand how significant a business it was and, and a personal challenge for me. And you know, it's fair to say we felt each other out, you know, like any any yep. any process and it's got to work for both parties and hopefully it's working for Scott and Joss and yeah. the HWR board. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been good, mate. Yeah, good. Um Challenges, um, you know, we're uh, in New Zealand, I'm sure like Australia, um, got uh, significant challenges in many areas. Um, how do you sort of compare the two countries on, on where they're at, yep. um, how they are progressing, evolving? Mm. Are we, how similar are we? Yeah, I, th I think we're more similar than we'd probably both Want like to admit. Um, you know, we're obviously the West Island across the ditch, um, you know, that they like to think they're big brother and, and so on. And yes, I do have a blue passport for the record. Um, but I think that's one of Australia's issues that we do treat often New Zealand as the smaller brother or yep. the smaller cousin type thing. But there's a lot of similarities in our cultures, in, in the way in which we get stuff done. Um, and how we can work together for the betterment of our region is really important. I think there's got to be a bit more of that. And so that's why I think you see companies from Australia come across the ditch to try and you know, get that influence and try to try to help, you know, and whether that always works out the right way, yep. or, you know, history will only tell. But from a safety culture point of view, I, I would say it's seven years behind um, is to put a number on it. Um, Good intent, good want, um, but I would think the systems and the, the legislative framework is lagging and hence you get a bit of a lag in regards to safety culture. And I think some of the stuff that I've seen, um, yeah, would – and, you know, I'm speaking probably more from my experience in my previous role that we're probably seven years behind. And yep. now what I would say is when people then put their shoulder to the wheel, they get stuff done pretty quickly and get up the curve. Yep. And I think that's the beauty that we can actually jointly as neighbours, we can actually share the good and where we went wrong and all those sort of things. And I love to stay, say, let's steal shamelessly. How do we steal shamelessly from each other and, and, and learn from the best and get up the curve as quick as we can? And, um, yeah, I think in that safety space, we've still got a fair way to go in New Zealand. Um, so with that in mind, yeah, we, um, uh, the chain of responsibility yep. that operates in Australia, yep. um, we are lagging yeah. there in a big way. Yeah, and I, I, th I think people often, you know, will talk about the PCBU um, gets very much talked about around the safety framework and, and safety legislation. But 
for me, it all, especially in transport, it all anchors back to chain of responsibility um, for everybody understanding their part that they play in getting those goods safely to yep. uh, the end customer. Uh, and for me, that's where I probably saw the most uh, improvement um, in, in Australia, especially, and that unfortunately it became the punitive stick um, where you're actually bringing people to the table on a punitive measure to say, you're in this now. You need to actually care what rolls out your door. You actually need to care what's in that container that you've loaded. Um, and it's just, it's the old saying, if you've got skin in the game, you're going to care, right? Mm. And so I think that's the most power that comes out of COR, that there's people with skin in the game as opposed to it's not on my patch anymore, it doesn't matter, which was the old mantra. And I, I remember back in my rail daily days saying we're not sending that box out, it's 36 tonne, can't legally go out on the road. Well, what are we going to do with it? Well, we've got to unload it. We can't let it go out on the road where in past it would have just, just let it go out, through let and it go out the road. And it, and it drives behaviours and it actually – especially as a manager who you might be seen to be mad when you say to somebody, you got to unload that container, it actually says, well, do you want that to drive out on the road and kill someone? Because imagine if the truck hits the brakes, can't stop, it's overloaded. And, it gets and, 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 and somebody gets killed in that or it's your family of five, um, you start to have a pretty powerful message to, to anchor back and COR does under those legislations put everybody in that. So. How, I mean, you've obviously seen the implementation and, and it roll through. I mean, how much push did it need? I mean, how much pushback was there? You know, I mean, how long did it take to, to change that, that thinking and that, that cultural mindset around that and accept it? I think it's still, and still, it's still a evolving. journey. Yeah. still a journey. And I think, you know, you've got to start somewhere, though. Yep. Um, and I think too often we can think any problem is... is too hard to solve but it's that old adage you got to start somewhere and you got to eat the elephant one bite at a time and at my encouragement to everybody out there would be influence your sphere of influence make the change in that don't try to fix everybody else's sphere of influence if you can fix yours and then the person next to you is fixing theirs and fixing theirs and fixing theirs that's where we make the greatest change mm. and i think too often we can try to think from this global picture which is important too but that can often stymie the solution and, and the progress. And so, um, you know, I can think of um, examples where, you know, even even things like weigh bridges and people knowing that things are overweight and saying, well, what do we do about it? Well, there are things we can do about it. We can engineer those. We can put barriers in place if they're over limits that people can't drive out and things like that. And so I think it's the old thing about data. Once you become aware of something, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to act? And that's beholden on all of us in that those positions to make a difference, not just turning a blind eye, which prior to COR, um, that happened. And I'm sure it's still happening, Greg. I'm not, sure, naive, sure. It's, it's not, not naive to think yep. that there are people out there that will take risks, which, yep. which we won't. Um, and ultimately, it comes back to that driver that we want to be safe uh, in the communities which we operate because I know personally that my wife and my kids drive on, on the roads. roads. Mm. And a truck driver's bad day is a catastrophic day. Um, it's either catastrophic for himself or the family that he's just driven over. Yep. Um, so I think that's as sobering a point as it is. And safety is a, an ever-evolving piece and we can never rest. We've got to always make sure that we take that new innovation and we take those new systems to make to make our roads safer. Mm, absolutely. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about that later um, in respect to 
you know, uh, the good people of Royce Inns who are, are bringing us these podcasts. Yep. Um, but first up, you know, um, okay, so when you've, you've landed here, you're, you know, you're eight months into this journey, has there anything been a, a big standout so far in, comparatively between, you know, uh, the years of operation in Australia in, this, in the transport game versus here? I mean, are we, are we doing anything significantly different that stands out that we should be changing or better or worse in any respect? That are that are very obvious to you. Yeah, I think my ob observation and the the one the challenge that I see before us is that our hilly terrain and our expanse of our country creates a challenge where we have impatient drivers in behind trucks, um, and you know there, there's not many passing lanes on some of our roads. Um, you can. You know, you can drive from Invercargill up to Queenstown with pretty much no passing mm -hmm. lanes. Um, and so there are potential environments which are being created, uh, which which create situations which people are taking risks. Um, and so I think the biggest the biggest difference I see, you know, you can jump, as you know, Murph, you can jump on the road from Sydney to Melbourne and not have a street right. light. Yep. Um, so, and you're on dual carriageway the whole way. Um, and multiple lanes, be it four, two, whatever it is. Um, and so that allows an environment where a truck driver can sit at his pace, just cruise along with all his safety technology, um, be it lane um, advice, you know, yep. front yep. Um, uh, radar, um, speed cruise and, and so on. And so whereas here it, it, it's a real challenge, I think, for some of our drivers when you've got impatient people and some of the stuff that we see and some of the the footage which we see come through in our in our, our forward-facing cameras, especially in rear-facing cameras, drivers just do stupid things, and you you think no one no one goes out on the roads to get themselves killed, harmed, or injured, um, but unfortunately it happens. And some of the footage that we see, you know, it, it helps our drivers because you know previously that was always their word against the mm. other driver, yep. um, but you know we see truck drivers overtaking petroleum tank, uh, sorry, drivers overtaking petroleum tankers on double white, double yellow, mountainous ranges. Blind. Blind corners. And, you know, there's one that came through the other month and, and it, it collided with another oncoming car. Now, our driver did an amazing job. He moved over as close as he could to that guardrail. Because he that, saw it. That guardrail was, yep. you know, a sheer drop. drop. Um, it, and... <laughs> The thing that amazes me is there's a large petroleum hazard flag on the back of that truck. <laughs> so a B-double and, you know, he. what else could he do? And so I think that's my biggest observation. Yeah. Yeah. That's and been think, really noticeable, those, yeah, that, yeah. Uh, that terrain and yeah. uh, topography that we, that we are dealing with here. And people are forced to do that, you know, overtake around, which, is, which in a lot of instances you can safely do. But some people take risks, and we're all of varying capability. So it's a uh, there's a massive, and I'm uh, same in Australia. Um, although, as you say, with some of the, the the roading situations, it's not it doesn't um, present itself so much. But it's the the lack of awareness and ignorance around the physics of mm. these things and how long machines they take to and how long, pull up and, and how long they take to take stop, to start, yeah, and yeah, stop and get going, yeah. And it um, it's it never ceases to amaze. And again, it's it's a whole other story because we we do a very poor job here of um, preparing people accordingly mm. to, to understand all those mm. you know weird and wonderful things. And I you know in 
when I was in rail, you know, we, we used to try to do a lot of education with the farmers, especially um, because they the had crossings. All, and the crossings on their properties and trying to tell them that when you see that light on that train, if he sees you and he has to break, it's two kilometres for him to stop and he's doing 110 k's an hour. So do you want to take that risk or do you want to let him take five minutes to get through, you know, 1,800 metre train and so on, so quite big. But it's this risk-taking that comes into our society which somehow we've got that to actually get… as well though, right? Uh, well, which is coupled with that, right? Yeah. It's the ignorance coupled with the risk-taking which leads to an outcome which is a poor one. Yeah. Um, and so how we can foster that um, through through the group and how we can lift that um, that exposure to, for people for a better outcome is something we're committed to because we want our drivers to get home. Yep. Um, and even if they do get home and they've unfortunately killed somebody because, you know, they're pretty big rigs, um, they'll tend to come off better than a motorcycle or a car or whatever, but they've got to live with those scars and so we don't want that. We want people to be going home safe Um families, um, general public, and, and importantly, our, our staff. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all, yeah, that's all very much a lot of common sense stuff there that uh, mm. seems to be a little bit difficult for people to understand. But um, so what, uh, what is in the transport sector then in Australia that, um, that is being done better um, and, and, you know, fairness of, you know, trying to be equal across it. Um, what, what's being done in a, in a better way? What What do you see is is something that uh, you know um, we we could catch up on just in, on on that day to day operation of things, or or how some some stuff's managed or operated. Is there anything that stands out across that side of things? Uh, yeah, that's a good question, mate. Um, look, probably one thing I will say is in New Zealand, the, the framework is actually more simple um, because you've got one form of government. Yeah, um, yeah, right. And so, yeah, when, when yeah. we used one Crossing of the, states. The, the state borders and jurisdictions, and it was highlighted significantly with COVID, right, mm. um, the, the divided states of Australia almost um, yep. it became. Um, and so being an operator in a transport industry trying to do that, that was quite complex, whereas we didn't have that challenge in New Zealand, which was good to see. Um, I, th I think we forget that because you can get that harmonised. You easily get that harmonised legislation, right? Uh, whereas in Australia, it's a lot of cajoling and especially trying to get WA and, and places like that to say, look, we want a harmonisation, especially as an operator across all those jurisdictions. Yep. Um, and so New Zealand doesn't have that complexity, which is a, a, a big tick. Yeah. Um, I think how we actively promote what we want to see in industry as the important parts of improving in the roads. Um, the consultation with industry and how industry has a voice yep. and truly has a voice. You know, we, we, in, we in business don't, don't want to um, put things in place to damage the communities. We actually want to serve the communities. By and, by and large, that's what we're doing. Um, and so how government agencies actually consult strongly with us for the best outcome and best spend of buck because, again, we don't want to frivolously waste yep. public purse. We want to see that best spent to get the best outcomes um, for both economy but also safety on the road. So I think consultation could be done better. Yeah. Murph. Yep. Yeah. I think that's if, – if we can get that right, you've got the right level of governance with, with one level. You don't have that bureaucracy. Yeah. across different – Jurisdictions, jurisdictions and so so on. 
Um, so that's simpler, but how we get that right engagement to get the right outcomes. And having the respect. That, yeah, across. correct. And I think often it can be seen that we're coming with our own agendas, um, but you can park those easily. I've seen that work well and just try to get the right outcomes. Yeah, we're going to have different points of view, but how we collectively work together to get the right outcome for mm. the community. Because ultimately that's the legacy we all get to leave, right? How do we make it better? Not the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, let's talk about, uh, about uh, the driver shortage situation, which I'm yeah. sure is nothing new. Um, mm -hmm. We know it's... Uh, it's a hell of a conundrum here in New Zealand, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure what the the rates, uh, you know, comparatively are in Australia. Yep. yep. Um, which would be interesting to actually know f uh, from your perspective. But um, uh, where's where's HWR at with uh, with this yeah, uh, situation? It's challenging, mate. Like it's, uh, you know, we're in some of our businesses we're sixty people short uh, on a population of four hundred in that instance in that business, um, and. You know, so I think in our rural transport alone, we've got 40 trucks parked up. That's a fair bit of capital parked up with no drivers in them. And, you know, it's getting to a point where you, you're choosing not to put somebody in that truck because, you know, if you do, you, you're yeah, potentially putting somebody in there who shouldn't be in there. Um, and, you know, for us, quality is really, really important and they're expensive rigs, right? Mm. They're 700 grand when you get them all kitted out with a double and so on and, um, so for us, um, and more importantly, they're, they're actually in the wrong hands, quite a dangerous bit of kit. So, um, look, it's a real challenge. Um, we're trying to look at overseas and try to see how we can actually bring people in to, to complement because I think what's actually happened and, you know, I used to joke and say, where's everyone gone? Like if someone's clicked the fingers and a whole bunch of us disappeared. Um, but you know, I think the baby boomers and things like that have seen COVID as a, actually, it's time for me to step away. Um, and they've stepped away. And so that that's going to continue to happen. And, you know, we've got the, we've been talking for a long period of time about the aging workforce. Mm -hmm. um, and there hasn't been, talking a, about it. we do, and there hasn't been a panacea, like there's no panacea, no silver bullet to any of that. Um, and I think how we keep these kids coming through, you know, sadly, transport got a real bad rap. Um <laughs> and still probably does um, through through schooling and, and so on. And it's almost like I'll go and do that job if you can't find anything else to do. But, you know, some of the amazing stuff that we get to play with, we get to play with big boys and girls' toys uh, and make a real big contribution to the economy. People don't get to eat. People don't get to watch their big screen television. People <laughs> don't get to live in their houses without transport. Um, and um, that's how important this is. Uh, to the the fabric of society and the economy, and and so it's I a think pedestal, doesn't it? We do, and and it's been often beaten down as opposed to risen up. And so I think for us, we're trying to focus on that, focus at the grassroots, show people the type of lifestyle they can have, and and that can be a at home every night, you know, driving out of your home base, um, driving a brand new rig, like all those sort of things with with leading edge safety technology. Um, you know, and and also you could also in the, in the industry transition into quite technical trades. Um, and so I think we've got to do a better job at selling transport um, and selling the career that it can actually be. They're, they're well-paying jobs. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're good and diverse. Mm. You know, people get to go to different places. And rewarding. Get, and rewarding, yeah. And you can be your own boss. You're out there on the road being your own boss. And 
Um, obviously, we have telematics that that have put somebody in the cab with them, but still they're their own boss out there on the road. And so I think that's one of the challenges. So we've got to start at how do we bring some complementary into backfill, but also how do we start to raise the next generation up for, for transport? And give it, um, you know, initiatives to, to, to do those. Yeah, and so we've started with the schools, especially here yeah. locally, um, just getting them to come down and do drive days down at Teratonga and um, things like that. But start with the counsellors and start to educate the scholastic system that it's a good career. There's an option. Um, it's an option. It's a genuine look, look proper. At me. Look at me, mate. Like, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I have no formal qualification. Um, I learn everything um, through through my experiences, um, starting as a wharfie and driving straddles and all those sort of things. And, you know, here I am. And um, it's through the opportunities I've got through the transport industry that's given me that uh, to be here. Um, and so I think we've got to destigmatize um, the industry and show people that there is truly a career path in it. And we've got to really, you know, we've got to kick that off in a big way. What are we now? We estimated shortage wise throughout New Zealand. Yeah, up, up around the five thousand yeah. or something. Well, I saw, saw something in in America where it was like eighty thousand yeah. people or something. Like drivers short. So, you know, this is not a problem that's isolated to Aussie New Zealand. No, New Zealand. Um, so I think, you know, we've we've and, and automation, you know, even platooning and things like that, you know, you've got to question whether our roads could handle that mm. here in New Zealand. Uh, and so we do have a real challenge. If we can't move the product to where it needs to be um, and you look at our cities, they're getting more and more congested, um, you know, ports of Auckland, you know, gateway to our, our national imports um, coupled with Tauranga, you know, it's a fair way to move all that product. And so that's only going to cause more and more congestion on the roads. So, look, I think it's a real challenge for the nation. And, yeah, it is almost like we clicked our fingers and a whole bunch of the workforce disappeared. And, and it's not like it hasn't been coming. It has been coming. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's a real challenge for us. So, we, we look, we've got some irons in the fire. Um, we're pretty confident we'll be able to put some Band-Aids on it. Um, but it, it's, it needs a concerted strategic effort to actually secure the medium to long-term future. Yeah. Uh, because if we keep seeing the low attraction rate out of high schools and, and out of, uh, it's going to be even a bigger problem. Yeah. In the future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit of tech stuff. And, and as I said before, um, obviously WaterSense uh, provider of a, a pretty amazing little bit of, Technology cool. with the Guardian system. Yep. Um, uh, and you're familiar with that in Australia? Yep. Yeah. Um, Rolled it out across our fleet in in uh, in my old business, and uh, yeah, we've got we've got it in HWR, and we're doing some trials on it with HWR. And I have a very clear view that we've got to implement um, this technology into the cabs because it is almost like uh, that second person sitting next to the driver. Yeah. When you, you know, we were talking before about, um, you know, our unique topography and environment roading situation. Yeah. And we, you know, talk about um, the Australian network and, and some of those massively long, straight, yeah. boring roads. Boring roads. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, we've got, we've got surely, our, you know, we've got the same issues mm. in very different environments that yep. create still the same problems, right? Yep. Well, I think, I think even... I think what's the bigger issue for us now, Murph, is fatigue has obviously always been an issue there mm. for us, but distraction, and I think that's the beauty of um, Guardian and, and um, 
it's it's actually keeping people honest. So it's not only just fatigue and your blink rate. It's actually looking at when you look away, look outside the you you're looking too far to the right, looking out your your window, or you're picking up your phone and scrolling through your phone, which we all know we shouldn't do. Yep. But sadly, you know all the statistics show that distraction in cab from mobile phones is is probably leading um, statistic for crashes these days. Um, and you know it, it's it's a when you can put something like this which is a real-time intervention into the cab of a truck for me it's a game changer um and because you can do all the other pragmatic stuff where you can educate your drivers you can ask them for fitness for duty you can make sure that they're getting eight hours sleep and so on but when you put in the variability that flows through with somebody's day um having something like guardian which looks at the blink rate looks at the distraction all of those things it's just a way for us to actually intervene in real time uh, and there's nothing else that can do that unless you put somebody else in the cab with you um, and so for me um, it's it's a very cost effective way to make a real difference to a driver and get them home safe yep. every night um, a, from what you've learned here in a short time or seen here in the short time um, are the the challenges with the implementation in Australia getting them getting them into the trucks and getting the buy in with the drive exactly the same issues yeah, and I comments? Think, I think the stigma is why do you want to <laughs> why do you want a camera in the in the truck and we we you know in in the majority I think if not all of our fleet we have an in cab camera um, anyway um, so I think we're over that stigma but drivers still want to know why do you want another camera in the cab what's this one doing um, and but once they experience what it actually does, it's not long before the naysayer becomes the yep. promoter. Yep. Um, and I think that's the power in this technology. But, you know, I'm a firm believer of give it to the loudest voice. Give it, test it with somebody who's the loudest voice. Let them see what it actually does because that one time that it actually alerts them that they've had a fatigue event or a distraction event, they'll recognise how powerful the technology is. And so, look, it is a game changer, mate, and it's quite a simple cost-effective game changer too. Mm. So. Yeah, well, yeah. It, uh, it's knowing that you've actually made a difference in one situation is... It's enough, right? And you can you can often have that conversation with someone with what's the cost of, what's the cost of one incident, right? Mm. Um, the capital costs of these systems yeah. aren't, they're not, they're not, the, they're not the restraint. Um, they're quite easy to obviously integrate into the CAN bus and so on. And um, so I think how we start to mandate these types of things, Murph, yep. I think yep. is, is something that, you know, we should be starting really to think Really seriously. About. Yeah, yeah, like really start to think how do we actually make notable change, um, again, around distraction and, and so on. It's okay to punitively find somebody three weeks after they've been using their phone, you know, through a stationary camera. But what if they killed someone when they in between in between that? Yeah. That's right. So I think you know, for me, again, it's it's really priceless um, piece of tech. Yep. Um, are there any uh, unique challenges with safety uh, with um, HWR being so large and and with with many diverse parts, so yeah. many diverse moving parts, maybe forty eight different yep. companies within yep. doing lots of different things. Different things. Have, yeah. you, have you managed to actually be, be able to sort of isolate or see any of that yet? Or is, you know, or you start. I, I think, to... like any, like anything, it's it's really you're only as good as your 
your shadow that you're casting and then the shadow that your leaders down beneath you are casting. And so what I mean by that is, you know, if we're not truly leading safety and showing what good looks like and our leaders aren't also, then that's the weakness. Um, so I think, you know, is there any unique uh, situations? No, I don't think we're any different to any other business. Um, and I like to describe it as the, what's happening in the when the lights are off, making sure that people are doing the right thing when no one's looking. Um, that's the important part of culture for me. Um, so, but yeah, the diversity is some, is a challenge, right? We're we're across six different industries, as you said, forty eight businesses, and um, there's different leaders in amongst all of those, and different depots, and so on. And so, how we actually empower our people, let them know what good looks like, let them know it's okay to stop when it's unsafe, mm. um, is the most important message for us because. Anthony Jones can't be at every location. Right. Anthony Jones can't be in every cab. But what I can do is say it's okay to stop to every, you know, 2,600 of our people say if it's not safe, if your truck's not safe, if your equipment's not safe, if you're being asked to do something unsafe, it's okay to stop. Um, and I'd rather everybody know that and empower everybody to do that and reward when people do that than not and have a subvert culture. So, um yeah, it's a challenge, mate. You gotta you gotta keep living that out every day and just showing that you genuinely care about your people and we do that really well at HWR. The family values do run deep. Um, but how we just keep being vigilant for that to keep living out and challenging ourselves and learning from the the uh, incidents that occur and getting those near misses coming through and learning from all those experiences. That's right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, really pushing the near-miss culture within our business, um, near-miss reporting culture in our business um, because that's where our free lessons are. Um, and often, you know, people can think, oh, I don't want to report that because nothing happened, but that's the free lesson that you get. Mm. Much better, Free lesson. Much better, better to get a free one than an expensive one. Quite like that. I just mm. really thought about it before. That's a good good term. Yeah. Well, you know, when in, when a, an incident occurs, when you've damaged equipment, it costs you something or you, you've injured somebody, it costs them something and you something. So, you know, how you how you learn from that, oh, geez, if he was two metres back and I ran into him, what's how what do reference I learn from to that? It, yeah. So, yeah. So I think... For us, we put a lot of focus on those lead statistics of near miss and, and so on. And, and um, you know, ensuring that uh, we we do make mistakes. And it's okay to say that we do. That's right. Like if we don't think we do, we're kidding ourselves. Like we're all kidding ourselves. Yeah. I mean, um, you just, you, it's, you know, if you're going to be a professional driver, like a lot of these these people are and mm -hmm. have been and will be, yeah. before you're a prof you are a professional driver, I think that's also something that you need to reiterate. Promote. Yeah. And promote more yeah. often. Yeah. Give them pride in that. You job. are absolutely you're a professional driver. Yeah. Now we all know everyone will will make mistakes, mm. but actually putting your hand up and actually mm. sharing that experience as well is, is critical. Because you're and, probably and, not, and not the only person who's had it. Of course, you're not. So you know, across our fleet of thirteen hundred, like how do we that 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 your incident could be a free lesson for somebody else too? I think is the other, right. the other one. So. You know, and it's that old brother's keeper piece about what's the conversation you'd regret having? Would you regret having one where you've got to call someone on the behaviour that you just saw them do? Or would you regret not having that conversation that. and, exactly. and somebody dying yep. um, and going, by their actions regret. and go, shit, I only wish I, I did, you know? And so for me, it's, it's how do you just foster that culture, which is what we're talking about, fostering that culture about 
reporting and learning and continually improving and really checking ourselves at the door and saying, it's okay, we're going to learn. No one's perfect. We're all about on, on the same journey and trying to, you know, drop the bravado that can often flow through in our industry, right? It, it can be a bit of that. Um, I've been in heavy male-dominated industries my whole life and I actually love seeing the diversity of females coming into the workforce because they often are happy to check their bravado at the door. Absolutely. Your experience has been obviously wide and you from from many different aspects. So what about um, covering off a little bit about uh, the ongoing training support, not just we're talking about truck drivers, but, um, you know, people on the ground, dispatchers, professional development through that and, the, yep. you know, their, their roles and other people's roles mm. and how they intertwine with, yep. you know, to the end of, end of it up, end of it being, um, you know, truck driver on the, on the, on the road. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we at HWR are really proud that we've got our, our, um, our driver training um, crew yep. uh, and we provide that professional development. It's quite a big crew too, right? It is, yeah. And so each of our businesses has its own driver trainer and uh, then we come back to a central uh, team for HWR. And so that's all about maintaining the standard across the business and, and being able to run large training um, and, and research for our, for our driver population. So on, right the way from, you know, it's almost that, um, you know, onboarding right the way through to, to the end of somebody's career um, and how we keep them safe uh, and up to date right the way through it. But I think often what you see within the industry is somebody was really good at something and so we promote them into a dispatcher role. Uh, and I think where we need to get collectively better is making sure there's adequate dispatcher training, um, there's adequate manager training, uh, there's adequate DNO uh, training. So even just letting directors and officers know what their obligations are against chain of responsibility and rel rel uh, relevant legislation. It again, it's that whole, um, it's that whole system of how we bring it together to get the right outcome. Because if one of those Jenga pieces come out, In the wrong the place, whole, the whole house can fall over. So. Um, you know, for, for us, we are spending a lot of time on dispatch training, um, just letting the guys know how important it is around those basics because they are, they are the grease. Yeah. They're the ones who keep the, the wheels moving. Um, and so, you know, the, and, the, and they have a lot of pressure on them at certain times of the day um, to keep the, the business moving. They're the, um, they're, the, they're the air traffic controller. They are. Absolutely. And that is, a, and that, we know how important that job is. So, so, you know, and I, I, to all the dispatchers out there, I, I, I have sat in your chair um, and done that role and it it can get very busy at certain parts in the day and, you know, you've got many competing interests. You've got personal interests of the drivers wanting certain mm. jobs and customers screaming down the phone at you and all those sort of things. And so how we empower those guys and girls to make the right decisions under that pressure um, and set them up for success yeah, right, leads to failure. a better, yeah, <laughs> and often we can set them up for failure. Yeah. Um, we can say, here's your, here's your car keys, uh, here's the phone, and uh, you are a good driver so you'll make a dispatch, good dispatcher. That sets them up for failure and I think, you know, we've learned a fair bit about that uh, at HWR and so the dispatcher training and things that we're, we're doing now is about equipping our people both from a legislative front, but also giving them tools to manage people. Because again, if you sat in a truck and then you go to managing 10 drivers or 20 or 30 drivers, very different world you're, you're in. Yeah. Very different. So, 
again, how we set people up for success. And that goes to, to managers, it goes to regional managers, goes to GMs, myself, um, the, you know, and then up to the board. I think we've got to make sure all of those levels are dotted and ticked off. Mm, absolutely. Hey, um, mate, I really appreciate the t your time and the chat. You've know, you got a bit going on in your plate. Few things on. Uh, just a few things on. Um, yeah, so not long in this in this role in this uh, enormous company, um, but uh, great insights. Really interesting. It's always interesting to find out uh, people's pasts and where they came from and how they got into these roles because it, it's often a bit of a surprise to to a lot how it all happened. So mm. uh, bloody awesome. Um, and uh, even though you're you're an Australian, you're more than welcome here. <laughs> Thanks, mate. And uh, really, really Yeah, they let me it. in, which was good. Yeah, so yeah. thank you, well, to, you know. uh, for those who put the photo up on uh, customs to allow me to come in, so it mm. was good. Yeah, well, they're probably doing it so that you, <laughs> you know. It wasn't it. without its challenges, so it uh, took me six months to, to get in after yeah. uh, after all that. But, you know, I, I was one of the lucky ones, mate. You know, I've, my heart goes out to those people who – didn't get to get home and see their loved ones before they passed yep. and things like all that. All those you know, it's just tragic. And hopefully we can put all that behind us, mate, and, um, you know, to, to more prosperity into the future and not have to go back into lockdowns and things like that, like we've been living. Absolutely. So, but, yeah, and happy to be here and, you know, really enjoying my time at HWR. Great business and great people and, and great mates. So, you know, it's uh, it's been a lot of, lot of good fun. Okay, well, there you have it. Uh, very insightful, great chat with Anthony Jones. Um, you know, he's uh, got so much information, so not, so much knowledge, really interesting um, backstory behind where he came from, what he's seen, what he's done. Um, and he is going to be, without doubt, a, a huge asset here for HWR as their C CEO moving forward. So uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the chat with Anthony. Um, also, thanks to AutoSense uh, for the support and sponsoring uh, the depot. If you're looking for help with driver training or fatigue and distraction solutions, then pop over to autosense.co.nz and check out all the information that is right there. Uh, likewise, if you like what you've heard today, um, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and you'll get um, some alerts each time there is a new episode that has been uploaded. Uh, if you have something you'd like us to talk about um, or if you'd like to come onto the depot and have a chat with me, uh, then get in touch. Just email thedepot at autosense.co.nz. So that is uh, it for this episode. As I say, big thanks to Autosense and also the Anthony Jones uh, for allowing us to make this happen and make this episode. And uh, we will catch up again uh, sometime very soon. Mm -hmm.